You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. Alan Chews is a novelist whose latest book is To Catch the Lightning. He's the book commentator for NPR's All Things Considered. Thank you for joining me, Alan. Again, my pleasure, Rick. We're talking today about three books by the late, great James Houston, who was a a neighbor and friend of both of us. Yeah, I've been uh, just rereading some parts of some novels and essays, uh, you know, to, to... uh, prepare for this, but you know, because it's a wonderful way of remembering a wonderful friend and a and a fabulous writer. Uh, I was just reading the opening, the, the the prologue of Continental Drift, Jim's novel that came out in 1976, uh, 33 years ago. Is that right? And I guess it was, I had just met him before this novel came out, and we, you know, we were acquaintances because of my summer summers in Santa Cruz. And uh, I picked this up and read it all the way through to the end without stopping and wrote a piece about it for The New Republic. Uh, and, uh, you know, I've just been a fan of Jim's work ever since um, through the the novels and uh, right up to the, his uh, recent uh, collection of essays, Where Light Takes Its Color from the Sea, which I wrote a foreword to. It's it's a wonderful body of work, uh, and, and uh, you, you see a writer growing in in uh, theme and in, in, and in the intensity of his the dramatic material in the work. But it's, it's odd, you know. You start with Continental Drift, and the prose is already soaring. Um, just he's, he's always kept a wonderful high level of, of of language. Although you know, as a stylist, he's he's uh, you know like a lot of great American writers, he's a he writes in the American plain style, um, uh, and uh, it, it has a real appeal for uh, you know a reader who might just pick a book out of the shelf in the library or out of the shelf in a bookstore, uh, as well as for people who want to read read it for its intense psychological content or its historical material, which you know it's marvelous in every way. Can I, can I read a little just of, of the prologue to Continental Drift? Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah let's, he, let's hear him. Okay. You know, the title, which um, Russell Banks stole from Jim. Uh, oh, really? I, uh... <laughs> yeah, yeah. They, they, they had it out, and I think finally they, Russell apologized to him, I believe. But here's, here's the prologue. From high above, say, gazing down from one of our tracking satellites, he can see it plain as an incision, a 600-mile incision, some careless surgeon stitched up across the surface of the earth. It marks the line where two great slabs of the earth's crust meet and grind together. Most of North America occupies one of these slabs. Most of the Pacific Ocean floats on the other. A small lip of the Pacific slab extends above the surface along America's western coastline, a lush and mountainous belt of land not as much a part of the rest of the continent as it is the most visible piece of that slab of crust which lies submerged the line where these two slabs or plates meet is called the San Andreas Fault. It cuts south from San Francisco, past San Jose, underneath the old San Juan Batista Mission on down behind Los Angeles, and back underwater again at the Gulf of California. 
The Pacific Plate, he will tell you, is creeping north and west at about two inches per year, an example of the movement geologists call continental drift. And I love that geological or bird's-eye view of of the land where his characters reside. And it's basically the point of view of this uh, newspaper man named Montrose Doyle, who lives up in the Santa Cruz Mountains and whose son has just returned from Vietnam and, and uh, creating a lot, of, a lot of problems for the family. Alan, could you read us a passage from Houston's Snow Mountain Passage? Uh, this is a book that's really important, I think, key to understanding his work because it's based so much in Santa Cruz and in his own house. <clears throat> this is the, uh, the, the ride down uh, over the Santa Cruz, up and over the Santa Cruz Mountains. They are two days making the summit, two days making the descent. A westward-flowing creek takes them down through dense timber to the narrow valley of the San Lorenzo River, lined with more redwood groves and cottonwoods and sycamores and willow. They cross and recross the river, searching for any sign of an enemy encampment, that's the, the Spanish, until it passes at last between two promontories set a mile back from the sea. Here, two villages face each other across a marshy delta. On a bluff above the river, dissolving remnants of an adobe compound cluster around an old mission, sorry, dissolving remnants of an adobe compound cluster around old Mission Santa Cruz, named for the Holy Cross. Its bell tower still lies toppled in a heap where it fell during an earthquake. To the east and up a gentler rise, they see the low tiled roofs of Branza Forti, colonized by convicted criminals sent up from Mexico and named for a Spanish viceroy, now long gone. Adobes are scattered along a mile of dusty boulevard. The caravan parades its length, the throng of horses, the 30 armed riders with bridles clinking. So this is uh, uh, the, the main character, James Fraser Reed's entry into Santa Cruz. And it's also Jim uh, introducing contemporary readers to old Santa Cruz in a dramatic situation that's really quite compelling. I mean, you know, he, he loved old Santa Cruz. He, he loved the historical element of where he lived. He loved the present of where he lived, the politics and, and the shenanigans and, you know, the antics of people on the beach and people at the mall. Um, and he used it as a, a base to extend his imagination out uh to the islands in the Pacific, to Hawaii, and beyond that, to uh, that uh, region of volcanoes, active volcanoes that stretches all across uh, to uh, the other side of the Pacific, you know, known, known as Pacific, the Pacific Rim. Jim uh, called it the Ring of Fire, and uh, you know he was a, a, a Western migrating intellect, a Western migrating writer who. Uh, Long after American physical expansion stopped, he, he, you know, he still went roaming westward, ever westward. And, uh, you know, it, it's, it, our country being so large, uh, you have these pockets of fine writing that somehow seems remote from the New York editors. Um, you know, I think Larry McMurtry once uh, gave a bunch of T-shirts to his friends, in Texas, his writer friends in Texas that said, regional writer. Um, there's nothing worse than you can call a, a good writer, right? Mm. And, and you know, I, I think Jim played with that notion in his mind. Um, but, you know, he had good New York publishers for, for a long while, for, and 
So he was, he was present, a presence in New York publishing, and he made California known to a national readership. I mean, you know, in, in California, as everybody knows, he was revered, and uh, he, he had a national readership, though. I mean, when you know, he came to, uh, to read at our Penn, uh, Penn Faulkner events in, in Washington, uh, and uh, the audience just loved him. And they really appreciated his work for what it was, which was serious American mainstream writing. Uh, Western, yes, but American first. Uh, or maybe I should say Western first and, and thereby American. <laughs> Whichever the, seems most important to you, he was. His his most uh, recent novel, Bird of Another Heaven, was a really uh, beautiful evocation of his love for Hawaii and mm-hmm. his love for history. Mm-hmm. And, and also, he was a, a, a talented musician and had was a powerful force in the world of music oh, and filmmaking too. Yeah, he made an <clears throat> excuse me a number of documentaries with Eddie Kamai, the the, the great Hawaiian uh, ukulele uh, instrumentalist and. Uh, and Jim just loved to pick up his bass and 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 play. I mean, one of the, one of the great things in in my stumbling attempts to learn how to play blues piano, um, you know, some nights I, I'd go over and sit down at uh, the Houston's wonderfully um, untuned piano and play blues, and Jim would play bass, and and uh, God Almighty, it's just one of the one of the most beautiful moments of, of my life. I could do that with him. We made music together, however faltering mine was. Uh, it, it was a great thing. It was a beautiful house, too. I, I, I love that house. I've actually talked with him and uh, Tom Killian there. Mm-hmm. And it's such a beautiful house, and you can really see when you walk around it, 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 it is kind of like a, a tour of, of Jim himself. Yeah. It's filled yeah. with all sorts of really interesting books and little pieces of Hawaii and California. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, I was really struck by when you were reading the uh, description of Santa Cruz because uh, it really um, it suggests that that he was really a visionary writer because when it, when you read that book when you hear that um, you can look out on on those very places mm-hmm. and see all the history that mm-hmm. that he that he describes so well. Yeah, it, I mean that's what he's. he's does he's done for Santa Cruz, and that's what he's done for for a large part of California too. And uh, you know, beginning with uh, Bird of Another Heaven for Hawaii. Alas, uh, you know, he died midway through uh, this new novel, historical novel about uh, Hawaii. Mm. But he also he he, he he's described. In, in his essay about his house, the view from Santa Cruz that's collected in that new book, Where Light Takes Its Color from the Sea. Mm-hmm. He describes that house wonderfully, both in its physical uh, uh, manifestation, as you talked about, and also in its historical context, because it, it meant a lot to him once he discovered who's, who owned it. It had an effect on his work, because uh, you know the last the survivor of the Donner Party, Patty Reed, had lived in it, and that spurred him to uh, write Snow Mountain Passage. But he also writes just so astonishingly beautifully about about the light, about Western light. Um, I'm 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 really moved to read it to you. Can I do that? Now? Oh yeah, no, that's a beautiful passage. I know what you're talking about too. A lot depends on the light here. 
It shapes the mountains and draws a mossy green from those high meadow patches that never turn brown. Down along the river that runs through town, the light swells up under a cloud of seagulls as they rise in a swirl between the concrete bridges. They turn, soar, dive like a shower of white sparks and descend again to their marshy, low-tide inland island. In later afternoon, the light turns the bay white. It catches eucalyptus leaves with their undersides up like a thousand new moons. The sea, as much as the light, gives this curve of coast its flavor. The light takes its color from the sea, sometimes seems to be emerging from it, and the sea here is ever-present. On clear days, it coats the air with a transparent tinge of palest blue that salts and sharpens every detail. Um, And he goes on to write about the Bay and the Pacific. Uh, I mean, I I have to say... um, these passages are about about the Pacific, or ri- really rise to the level of Melville. Mm-hmm. And uh, somebody should set set this whole sequence to music. I think, you know, what a maybe, beautiful idea. Maybe John Adams. John Adams, are you listening? Yeah. Right. Take a look at this. Set it to music. It's beautiful. <laughs> I, I agree. I've been speaking with Alan Shoes. His latest novel is To Catch the Lightning. We've been talking about the work of the late James D. Houston. Thank you for joining me, Alan. My pleasure, Rick, and and. I urge everybody to read these novels and essays and, and, and become Californians in spirit and soul. You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony.